Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. Today our guest is Sean Gold. He was the CMO of Inside Studios and until 2007, he was the CMO, head of marketing and content for MySpace. He was also president of Weblocks Inc., which was acquired by AOL for $25 million in 2005. We'll discuss Sean's new project. He's an advisor for Wattpad, which could be considered the YouTube for the written word. 30 million stories have been told on this platform. And we'll get into detail about his innovative strategy during his time in MySpace to use branded entertainment to turn marketing into a profit center instead of a cost center. You had the philosophy that marketing could be a profit center. Could you please expand on that? Sure. Um, really any content site, social media, network, um, that's trying to gain audience that stands for something, um, can really use content events or anything that would traditionally be a cost center, uh, and turn it into a profit center. So at MySpace, as I you know, said previously, they were spending you know, a bunch of money on marketing and it was all about acquisition and that's fine, but you know, I, my pitch to them in really becoming the head of marketing and content was to create content opportunities that you know did everything we were trying to do in marketing: build an audience, hedge competition, encourage user-generated content, uh, increase signups, increase participation and engagement, but make them really a branded entertainment opportunity as well, which we could sell. And so we did this over and over again with all of our events, which we were doing a bunch of events just to promote the MySpace brand and be where cool people were, you know, where our audience potentially was in music events and at the time car shows and, and different kind of events like that. Instead, we kind of amped them up and made them actually much bigger than they were before and made them and brought in our sales team and really made them sales opportunities instead. So uh, we had a bigger marketing impact from uh, from these, you know, sort of sales opportunities, branded content opportunities, than we did just by trying to make them marketing opportunities. And what gave you this idea? Was it um, your past uh, experience uh, building out these big blog networks that are based on these opportunities? Uh, with uh, advertising and you built uh, content around that was that how you would focus on these events well the idea came from just you know in my early career I did a lot of work for advertising for for brands I, I built some of the first websites for um, you know for Betty Crocker and for Butterfinger and for uh, Nestle Pet Food and Hot Wheels so I I understood and the way I even sold those deals in, because I was, I was doing business development and strategy for a digital agency, was to pitch them, to sort of pitch the web, and this was early, this was in 1997, 98, as, you know, as a communications planning tool, to use it to make what you're already doing more effective. So in, in the beginning, when you know, my company, Rare Medium, was competing with people who were selling websites, and I sort of took a different approach and sold communications the web as a communications planning you know add-on and so having you know deep empathy with 
communication strategy, what brands were trying to accomplish, I saw that the stuff we were doing, the, the stuff they were already doing at MySpace was really in the sweet spot of what brands wanted. It just wasn't big enough and it wasn't, it wasn't designed exactly to integrate partners. So that was the pitch. If you do X, Y, and Z here, you know, we'll be able to accomplish the 10 things you want to do in marketing. Plus, we'll be able to bring in partners, make this a sales opportunity, and we'll make money from our marketing as opposed to having it be a cost center. And, you know, it worked. And, uh, you know, we built marketing into probably a $45 million um, sales program. And you say uh, you built it up into this uh, sales program. What were, like, the key milestones that got you there? Um, it was really, I don't know, what do you mean by milestones? Like, what were the moments that, because you have, like, this huge success of what was eventually accomplished, but what were any the game-changing moments uh, to where you eventually got to, like, hit those numbers? Well, getting sales to buy in and having a close relationship with the sales department, the marketing and sales department, was essential. Um, there was a guy named Michael Barrett we brought on to lead sales and having a relationship with him and having him get it and understand it. And um, that was a really big part of making it work. Um, having the marketing sort of marketing really be a sales division, but more coming in as a consultative partner in the sale. So you have the salespeople doing what salespeople do, going out there, identifying leads. And then the marketing people would come in, you know, as the brand representative, especially at MySpace in the you know glory days of 1996 and 1997. Um, you know, people really wanted to know. It was a very consultative education, education-driven sale. So as far as, you know, I, I don't know if there was any single moment. It was more about just getting a couple that worked, getting brands to buy in showing the sales department that it was easier to sell our programs than to sell their programs. The problem is we you know we couldn't do enough of them. We were limited by the by the size of the of the group we had and and there was pushback at the corporate level. There was people who came in to run, you know, you really have to pitch in a big company like News Corp, you have to pitch your budget and sell your budget. And uh, it seems like it would be pretty simple to say, hey, if you give me 15 million, you know, 15 million, I'll make 100 million. But, you know, it, it wasn't, as, it wasn't as, as easy as I thought it was going to be. And what were your favorite projects that you approached with that methodology? Um, we did uh, one that was simple, one that we got a lot of social media buzz and really proliferated throughout the, net, the network that was kind of small on a city by city basis was called Secret Shows, where we would take, because we had so much influence in the music industry, we'd take big bands and do small, unannounced shows, you know, in between their tour or, um, you know, the day, you know, the day before they were about to perform in some large venue. So all across America, we were doing these secret shows that you had to be a MySpace member and you had to like or make a friend, you, know, you had to friend uh, a particular brand who was our sponsor. They were really cool because they were exclusive. You could only get them through the brand. You could only get them through MySpace. They really positioned MySpace as a deep insider in the music industry. And everything was working there. They got people to 
to uh, engage more with the brands and to really spend more time on the platform doing the things we wanted them to do. And for the planning of Secret Show, you had the kind of the lead up, the period of the show, then the kind of the aftermath, everyone kind of discussing it. How was social media thought of uh, as a, a real time communication when it was used for MySpace? Because I know now everyone takes it for granted that you know there's a million hashtags and things are happening simultaneously. But was what was the thought process going into the live streaming of social media for the lead up to eventually the end of the event? Well, the thought was, I mean, in this particular case, we're talking about a live event, but how do you make a live event, you know, a global experience? So that was kind of how we were using social media. People, you know, brands would spend a lot of money for a live event, but it's kind of disposable. They and they only reach the, you know, several hundred to, you know, several thousand people that attend these events. So in this particular case, we were using social media to share um, the event across the globe, to talk about it, to people for to suggest songs they wanted to see and suggest bands they wanted to see and and then after the show people would share their experiences across MySpace across social media sharing you know audio and video and text and blogging about it and using the suite of communication tools that we had on MySpace so it became much bigger than just a you know 500 person event it became a you know 100,000 million person event that emanated from this like small little show we did you know with you know Radiohead in Topeka, Kansas. Now, did you give them the toolkits to share? Was this kind of kind of something already a framework in place so when the fans are there, they know what to do, or is this spontaneous what started happening for you know when the it started well, taking place? MySpace, you know, the tool set was already there, obviously on MySpace. It was uh, you know, we focused on it was all very much about self expression and communication and we had a ton of, you know, youth culture on the site. That was very much focused on what we call, you know, identity production, and identity production on MySpace was about, you know, sort of breaking away from your parents and defining yourself as an individual, the friends you have and the bands you like and the things you watch. So the whole tool set on MySpace was very much to help foster identity, identity production. Sorry, identity production with youth culture, and you didn't really have to ask them if they had access to something. Or if they loved a band, any way they could participate and become part of the tribe of that band and the culture of that band at some level, you know, they would use. We would prompt them to share their photos or share their stories, share their experiences. Um, but there wasn't a lot of prompting that needed to be done. We just had the tool set that allowed them to do it. So in a way, it was kind of interesting is that you provide this technology and also you're providing the content. So you're you're enabling each individual user to be kind of your own content publisher to reinterpret the experience. Exactly, exactly. Right. We had the content, we had the tool set, and um, we just asked the users to participate. Because and they pushed our positioning prompts into the marketplace. So they worked with you. One of the complaints I've heard about Facebook was that it's not really a a content discovery. I mean, it's great for social, you know, socializing, but it most feels that's one part that it's lacking. It's almost like it's blind spot. Yeah, Facebook never really went there. I don't even think they, I don't even know if they tried. Facebook, 
emerged, you know, victorious in this social media space because Zuckerberg really focused on, and sometimes to a fault, on creating the most efficient communications platform out there. And, you know, some of his mistakes were, oh, I'm just going to share, you know, amp up what people are thinking in their feed and share, you know, all these all the ideas and all the everything they're sharing. So he got into trouble with that because he didn't ask permission. But he kept and he kept making mistakes like that around advertising and around his feed, which are ultimately great ideas. Um, you know, once you added privacy to them, but he just was focused on just efficient distribution. Yeah, it was a very very efficient, and in a, in a lot of ways, I don't see a people. Uh, sharing the live event experience as much on Facebook as they do on Instagram. So in a lot of ways, it feels that this kind of live experience will go through their Instagram and then you know also continue to share on Facebook. Sure, I mean they're right. They're sharing it. You know, Twitter is probably better at sort of you know sharing the experience. Instagram for sure is more about a, a visual representation of what you're doing and where you are and who you are, um, and certainly one of the reasons why Facebook you know, purchased them. Um, Facebook hasn't really been about culture; it's more been about you know, it's somewhat about identity production as far as this is my family, these are my friends, this is what I like to do, this is what I'm doing, um, but it hasn't been as much about discovering culture it's interesting uh, when you're talking about in a way that marketing could be a profit center is that when you look at this live experience that you do is that there's various stages in the life cycle which a brand could get value from you know and you really you could really dissect that you have before the event everyone exciting what's going to happen next the press building up to it the event itself the real-time experience and then everything the aftermath of the event and then the rest of those assets will kind of live on forever. How did you uh, was what was your what was the way you marketed to the brands? Like, what was your you know key selling points? Well, it was well you know it was interesting because on on one thing I saw in the early days of social media is that people you know were all trying to become brands and brands were trying to become people. So the the big selling point in social media was for brands to connect to millions of people in a one-on-one -on -one basis around the things that they love. You know, the brands loved, um, people loved, you know, some of the bloggers on our site, they love, and the bloggers love blogging, and the people love reading their stuff, and then if the brands are integrated properly, it becomes like a big group hug, and they love the brands, which is very different than how it used to be back, you know, 20 years ago and you know if you had a brand integrated in any content it was you know sacrilegious and a sellout especially like in music and now people expect it so the uh it was really about sort of connecting them on a in a much deeper level and engaging you know fans of the brand or making fans of the brand in a unique way and with the experience that you've had, you know, of MySpace and seeing that there's these opportunities, what would you, would be your advice to uh, companies that want to start having that kind of content partnerships with brands? Is there just kind of be a way of um, taking that into where we're at now from the experience you had at that point? Well, 
brands need to add value to the content site. They need to sort of unambiguously enhance why a user is there in the first place and become part of that experience and making the experience better. You know, and and people are, you know, social media in particular is very much about identification and individuality. You know, identification being connecting with people, like-minded people, and individuality sort of, you know, expressing who you are and what you stand for. So the different ways that brands do that is through recognition and uh, providing a means of self-expression and providing discovery or providing access or knowledge um, or mutual appreciation between fans. So there's, there's like core human needs that, you know, brands sort of brands need to be, you know, amateur cultural anthropologists to really understand why consumers are there in the first place and, and sort of give them, you know, what they want. And recognition is a really simple one. You know, if you're doing a, you know, I work for, I'm working with a company called Wattpad, um, which is a social story platform out of Toronto. And, you know, there's 30 million stories have been uploaded to Wattpad. And the users are just doing it for, you know, for recognition. They're doing it for, for appreciation. They're doing it because they want to share content. And brand a brand like Coca-Cola coming in and saying this is the best you know science fiction story or this is the best the most creative person or most creative people or, it, it goes a really long way when you have some iconic established brand recognize individual users so that's one of the most inexpensive so it's being a curator being a, yeah being yeah somewhat being a curator. And, well, I mean, it. obviously, you know, when I say curator, I mean in the highest uh, compliment possible. It's like you own an art gallery or a museum or anything like that, and you're able to, like, position these artists who may not have the same level of access and visibility. Right. It's difficult. You know, user-generated content used to be very scary for brands, and it's still a little bit scary. But in modern, you know, the brands understand that it's out there and it's happening and you can't just bury your head in the sand. You can either participate in it or just let it fly. So what you're seeing is, you know, brands challenging users and saying, you know, share your stories or tell us what you think. And then they're curating the best stuff or the most appropriate stuff, the stuff that they want to be associated with. So, you know, they might pull, you know, they, they might feature certain fans on their Facebook page on Wattpad, they would feature certain, you know, pull in certain stories into their reading list and not pull certain stories into their, you know, and ignore other stories that probably are great for the brand if people are talking about it, but it might be objectionable material that, you know, they can't officially associate with. They're, so they're, they're, they're basically the compass that guides you in the right direction. I think just to focus it on the, on the whole challenge that brands have now what opportunities based on you know your extensive experience um what opportunities do you see that are, are being missed by brands and in, uh, in this where we're at now that you would you're surprised that more of them are not taken advantage of it's difficult for brands you know brands user-generated content having brands having individuals 
internalize and put effort and get vested into and tell your brand's story is like the most utopian marketing that there is. Uh, but on the other side, it's difficult for brands, especially the biggest brands, your Nestle's and you know brands like that, to associate with this content and let it, let their brand run wild, you know, in an official way throughout this content. So, you know, if you read a lot of content from kids, it's pretty body stuff. Um, you know, I've been spending a lot of time reading a lot of a lot of youth culture content, and you know, there's a lot of you know, sexuality for one in a lot of this content. And it's not something a brand can necessarily associate with, but these kids sharing your brand in an authentic way with each other is, you know, is amazing and authentic and, you know, great for your brand. Although brands have an issue of, you know, brands are, have an issue of associating with some of the content and a lot of the content that they're being shared in and around. So it's a slippery slope and a, and a, uh, a difficult uh, sort of edge to walk on. To so are you are you saying to facilitate um, this this movement and to somehow be part of the conversation? in a way that you're there, but not the same way that you're putting your stamp of approval with all this, you know, like you said, user generated content somehow to kind of balance it. Yeah, exactly. There, you know, you want, you want to be an authentic participant, sorry, an authentic participant in youth culture, but it has, you know, there's some thorns in that. So that's, what's keeping some of the brands out of it of really, you know, being in, you know, authentically integrating into content and, um, but there's ways to hedge against that and, um, you know, and, and protect the brand while, you know, fostering creativity in your target audience. Now, now we're talking about fostering creativity and I think that's a really interesting thing to say, you know, obviously we your you know, connection to Wattpad, but it, it feels like with art, there almost needs to be certain handholding. Like you look at, you know, Twitter, they give a framework. I mean, you could explore a lot of creativity within the framework and do amazing things, but some people need more of a nudge or to even a push to really be able to start creating content. Are you saying in a way that the opportunities with brands are creating frameworks to really express yourselves beyond the simple like post of a Facebook which is a lot of, to a large degree, there's a redundancy of like Upworthy and BuzzFeed where you're just clicking share, but you're not really, it's not a real artistic expression. So you're saying you're taking it one step further beyond that form of identity. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at Wattpad, for example, it's exceptionally, you know, some of the background on Wattpad, it's, um, you know, 24 million 13 to 25 year olds were on it last month. Um, about 70,000 people a day are on, are there, are, are, are uh, sort of registering for it. Um, it's a social storytelling platform, very much like YouTube for the written word. And one of the reasons it's so successful, and a big part of it, is fan fiction, where um, people are either extending stories uh, that they know, or they're taking stars and writing stories about them and why they're doing that in part is because they love the 
they love the content, but two, it's also, you know, a head start on creating content. Back to sort of your original question, which is sometimes, I mean, there's creativity is in everyone, but not everyone is great at starting from scratch. So taking something that's existing and expanding on it is a lot easier than, you know, starting from nothing at all. And so brands asking questions or, you know, partnering with content sites and helping foster creativity in a way that's easy to participate is really, you know, the, the opportunity. So, you know, and, and even if you're not even, not everybody can write or make a film or even make a great photo. So the next step is really sharing the things that you love and participating on that level. Well, you're we're in a way they're kind of like the curating uh, the user generated content, and user generated content has a it's kind of a bad word now. But when you're talking about Wattpad, you're talking about very serious writers spending a long amount a long a long time in this in this world. And is there is there an opportunity here uh, where brands could become almost in a way um, motivators? Uh, and figure out how do they create platforms or work with platforms for make people be jeweler, create jewelry or create music. Is there more of an opportunity uh, than um, than where we're at now? Is that kind of the next stage? Is a story and artistic expression beyond just sharing and uh, uh, social networks where people can talk? Well, again, brands you know can inspire creativity and connection and participation by really offering a platform for or tying into platforms like Wattpad for recognition and appreciation and belonging and self-expression and access to other people and discovery. So it's really about the tool set. You know, brands have been trying to do this for years and years and years. It's just the tool set and the technology has changed, which is really enabling. You know, there's been a lot, a lot of you can read about advertising over the years and there's all kinds of you know lofty ideas around storytelling and engagement and participation um, but they were much more theoretical than you know in the past than they are today now with the internet and the tool set and social media and content sites like Wattpad the participation and the connection level and the creativity level is at a whole new sphere and so you know some of the some there's some great brands out there that are like Red Bull, for instance, for instance, that are really embracing it, and 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 there's some and a lot of brands are will come along, but it you know it can be scary for yeah, a marketer. You say participation, and I think that's the right word for it. Like Wattpad, people participate, and I think they spend more time and have a more personal connection to this content than let's say for instance someone's you know has a pre-roll for a YouTube video that's short they'll watch it they'll forget about it but it seems like it's more of an intimate relationship if it's in a world of authors versus just kind of these very short you know little you know little ads that are disrupting your viewing experience versus the sponsorship of creation well you know having a you know, a content experience where you're reading the stuff you love or writing the stuff you love and it's brought to you by, um, you know, a brand or it's, you know, a brand is, again, 
helping you connect with people or recognize you for being amazing. Um, you know, it's a much deeper connection than, you know, an interstitial ad. And those things are all about awareness. And that's great. And you certainly need to create awareness and tout the benefits of your product. But nothing is better than having, you know, someone share the benefits of your product or share your product or share the experience they've had with your product from one person to another. I mean, it just doesn't get better than that. How do you do that on a large scale and do that in an efficient way? You know, Wattpad is one of the places where you can do that through storytelling. And Wattpad has all these uh, creators on it, and they're, uh, they probably put more time into what they do than a lot of the other uh, platforms of content because writers, you know, they, they're sitting down at home. They're really putting a lot of effort into it, and they there's a culture that's created out of it. How do the brands properly align with this culture so it doesn't disrupt this ecosystem? Yeah, well, for, to go back to what you said, why, you know, the time, the average time, the average session time on Wattpad is about 30 minutes. And this is on the mobile phone. 80% of it's on the mobile phone. Even 53% of the writers on Wattpad are writing from a mobile phone. So it's it's unbelievable. And it's it's pretty amazing that youth culture is actually spending this much time reading and writing. The, I, I think the average session time per month per user is 3.5 hours. So it's it's I think I think Facebook is the only site that has a greater monthly session time or time spent on a site per user. So shit, I forgot what the question was. Oh no, that was definitely I was those are those are definitely good facts. I was saying since you have such a committed loyal group of uh, creators and readers, how do you make sure that the brand uh, brands that are connected to uh, the platform align with align with their culture? Well, in, 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 in the brand's case, again, they need to add value to the ecosystem and enhance why the users are there in the first place. So a great example, a hypothetical example would be a brand like Dove, um, which stands for, you know, in some sense, female empowerment. And, you know, for them to integrate into Wattpad and ask users to share their stories of empowerment or overcoming obstacles which is a lot of what's happening on the site already and will you know will reward you and recognize you and you know uh, feature you on our website and feature you in our ad campaign so that in that way they're really kind of fostered they're giving someone they're giving the audience something to do they're enhancing why they're already there they're giving them some structure for creative output and they're offering them recognition and rewards for you know what they came to do on the site in the first place i see so that makes sense and i remember back in the day apple had these advertisements that had think different you know and they had all these different prominent figures from probably the world of science literature you know right on these billboards in a lot of ways a brand can almost do that but expand that to all these different uh, niches, you know, it's long tail effects. So maybe here's the the kind of thought leader in, you know, Twilight fan fiction or the thought leader in writing mysteries. So you could have all these different people that reach a much more specific audience that, that they're influential to. Exactly. And they could not only reach the writers, but also the fans of, 
you know, so a brand that, or, you know, a movie example that wants to reach, um, user, you know, wants to reach like-minded people or other, you know, the fans of another franchise, um, if, uh, you know, they want to reach fans of Hunger Games or Batman or um, Harry Potter, you know, because they think their movie has the appeal, they can reach out to the biggest fan fiction writers in that category and have them write about their film. They can advertise and market, you know, put some kind of challenge um, to the readers and the writers in, that are you know, really active in those categories. And so it's a great way to target on a content sort of psychographic basis, um, you know, in using a site like Wattpad or any other, you know, content site that kind of is, is structured that way. It's kind of like the long tail effect because instead of just kind of broadly saying, well, this person on Twitter has a million followers, you could almost get it more specific and get really narrow in on key influencers that might have. 50,000 readers and you could really have it so much more targeted than it's probably throwing it out there. Yeah, exactly. And um, when you look at the top authors on Wattpad, in a way, they're kind of um, they're kind of like when you look at Nike, they have like the key athletes, they have the main stars for the various brands. I was <laughs> wondering, are there authors that are sponsored that kind of represent, you know, maybe it's romantic um supernatural stories whatever it is but they have a, a big audience so brands align with them and they're almost kind of like the face on a wattpad for those brands there aren't but there somewhat will be i mean there will be there, there's really no there's almost no advertising on wattpad right now right now we're sort of building out the native strategy and working with some brands to launch native advertising in a, you know in a, as couth manner as possible and um but a part of that is integrating, is using the top writers and having them participate in this. And you know, if it's done well, it's 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 it, you turn you know a negative potentially, which you know advertising is bad, into a positive, and that these advertisers are helping this community and adding value to it, and and you know supporting the you know top writers and helping them spend more time and write more. So this is you know. It's this. I believe that advertising is can be if it's done well can be great. It's like a patron of the arts. It's like you know America exactly. doesn't have a lot of money just to throw at you know artists, and there's only a limited amount of you know consumers willing to purchase content. But I think a lot of people are willing to consume content that was um, supported by brands. I mean, even if you look at another tribe, which is uh, professional video gamers. It's a huge, it's a huge world. Like esports, it's like billions of people involved in video games. And Red Bull has created its own um, league and sponsorships for these gamers. And I think fan fiction is a really vibrant, active community. I'm surprised not any brands have really got in and to start backing it. They didn't accept advertising. You'll start to see that soon. But I think what you what you said is spot on about patrons in this community where no one's really making a profit. Um, they're just there to do what they love that brands becoming patrons and supporting the top writers um, that way and that attitude and that you know, may and that done in a very very transparent way you know and trans but in somewhat 
you know, in some sense, making your skeletons dance. And by skeletons, I mean, you know, advertising someone, you know, advertising a story and have a writer write for you and write the brand in. You know, the advertiser saying I'm writing. I mean, the the writer saying I love this brand. I'm writing them in because they're supporting me and please support them so I can write more. You know, that's a great, transparent, empathetic way for a brand and a content creator to get together and authentically, you know, connect with both reader and writer. So I mean, and, and, you, and you look at, too, like if you think about it, fan and fiction is becoming more legitimate in the eyes of like the people who, who have no idea about that world. It's starting to become a lot more uh, prominent in the, like even if you look at, for example, Amazon, they created Kindle Worlds where they have an entire fan fiction marketplace where a fan fiction writer potentially on your platform could build enough of a following and if they want to, they could sell it directly through a Kindle Worlds and not have any legal ramifications for making money. Yeah. Exactly. That's. I mean, Amazon getting into this definitely is a big stamp of approval on it, and it's been happening all over. There's so many fan fiction sites all over the internet. Um, Wattpad has certainly emerged as this sort of uber center for, you know, content for fiction, nonfiction, and fan fiction. Um, but it's it's really mainstream at this point. I came home the other day, and my kid was had you know was watching the merlin series on netflix and he had like three you know three full pages front and back of satire on a merlin episode he had written you know he didn't even know about wapat he was just writing fan fiction just because he wanted to have a deeper connection with the story and participate and it fostered creativity and he needed to get it out and that's happening you know all over the world and fortunately, sites like Wattpad are out there to really be a place to foster that and help people connect around it. So lastly, I know it's obviously the generic question. So what's the future of Wattpad? But I'm very interested in what the future of Wattpad is. So what is the most you could tell me? The future of Wattpad is, is really kind of glowing, growing on a more, you know, on a global basis. Like I said, 70,000 people a day are joining. And... There's already you know, 24 million people on the site last month. So it's, you know, the future is, you know, expanding the communication tools and the content and self-expression tools and probably the marketer tools so marketers can integrate in an authentic and interesting way. And really kind of keeping doing what they're doing, but looking what, you know, looking what's working and really enhancing the tool set to grow the things that the users want you know the, the users that uh, that enhance the user participation um you know i can't necessarily reveal any particular you know product features that they haven't yet revealed themselves but it's really everything is really about enhancing why the users are there in the first place and and growing the site organically based on just you know continuing to add value to the community does x y or z either detract or add to the community and really building out a future for the site based on answering that question thanks for listening to another episode of hollywood 2.0 
You can listen to more episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. And you can follow me on Twitter at PeterCats1. It's K-A-T-Z. <laughs>